0: We're here together this Good Friday afternoon to reflect on the healing cross of Christ and what impact it has in our lives. If you think about it, it was 2010-plus years ago, about this time, on that hill that Christ gave his life for all of us. I think it was a surprise to many, to most people in those days, that Christ died on a cross. When he first began his ministry, he had a huge following. People were following him. He, they, they loved him. He was feeding them, healing them, casting out demons, raising the dead, performing all kinds of miracles that pleased them very much. And then later, things begin to change. Because he started talking about taking up the cross, talking about dying on a cross, suffering, servanthood, resurrection. Mm not a popular message. So many turned back at that time. As soon as the cross or a hint of it came into being in his ministry, it was an offensive thing for many. And we see it continuing. In a few minutes, I'm going to read a story about two people and their response to hearing the message of the cross. And then we see it go on and on, right up until his crucifixion. We see Pilate washing his hands, wanting no part of it. Simon of Cyrene was forced to drag that cross for Jesus. There were two thieves on either side of Jesus. One believed, the other didn't. One centurion said, oh, this man surely was the son of God. The others were drunk and swearing and watching it, the cross with no impact on their lives. You know, the cross demands a response. It stands there. And it always elicits a response. The Apostle Paul, later on, writes in 1 Corinthians this way. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I think that says it well. It's beautiful to some, offensive to others. And it continues until this day. It stands right in the middle of history and demands a response. This this afternoon, we'll just look briefly at the lives of two people and how differently they responded. And it's out of Mark 14. Now the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people might riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those presents were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked this woman harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime. But you will not always have me. She did what she could do. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Here's two people, same incident, two days before Passover, And Jesus had been talking about the cross and his coming death. And it impacted one one way and another a completely different way. Let's look at this woman first. She just came in and took a year's wages. That's what this bottle of perfume cost. And she just came up to Jesus, dumped it out on his feet. It ran on the floor. It was a very costly ointment. And this was so precious to the believers after Jesus' death that it is told, this story of her extravagant love, of her pouring her love out on Jesus' feet before he died, was told in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and John. And it went on in the teachings of the emerging Christian community after Christ's resurrection. And we, if we read the other Gospels, we find, like in all of the stories, a little bit differing ver- versions of it. But whatever, whoever it was, whatever happened exactly, it was a very special moment for Jesus Christ. And he was very touched, and he said she'd be remembered forever, and we're remembering her today. We know very little about this woman. It would be nice to know what happened to her? Who was she? We could guess that she might have been a discreet follower of Jesus. We wonder if she was rich or poor. That might have impacted what happened to her life after she gave up a year's wages. She had this jar of highly prized ointment that was grown and harvested in the Himalayas. How did she get that? We don't know. We can speculate. But what we do know from this story is she adored and loved Jesus. She recognized who he was and that he was facing the cross. She didn't understand it all, maybe, but she was grateful and she loved him for who he was. And so she took all she had and gave it to him. Uh, It's interesting that we don't really know her name. Um, Some of the Gospels give a name. But we know uh, about her love And about the story. And it's amazing how this happens again and again in the gospel, which is good news for us. Because most of some of the most special events that happen to people, their names aren't mentioned or we know little or nothing about them. But we know that their act of love still lives on. And that's good news for us. Because long after we're gone, the love that we gave to the Lord and to his people will be remembered. And isn't that all that matters? And so this woman, whoever she was, had a humble spirit, a grateful heart, and she heard about his suffering, and she gave her all. And it's interesting, right in the same room, in the same passage, was another man, and we know more about him, about his life. His name was Judas, and he was sitting there and it's interesting to note his response to this event and what it set off in him. Who was Judas? Well, there's been a lot of um, scholarly work done on him, biblically and historically. And um, scholars surmised that Judas may have been the only Judean among the 12 disciples. And the Judeans were the elite. And they, he certainly could have felt much smarter, better than the Galileans, because Judeans considered Galileans to be country bumpkins and not very bright. And then later, Jesus gave him charge of the money box. So he could have been a little elite, a little arrogant right from the beginning. We know that he was a zealot, and and it was an attribute that was held only by one other disciple, Simon the Zealot. Uh, we know that Judas was probably a zealot by his surname Iscariot, and that means dagger men, and that's what the zealots were known as. They were known as dagger men because they carried on their person all the time a knife, and because they were prepared to assassinate any traitors or capitulators that they could, uh, hoping that they could force uh, the powers to be out, and that the Messiah would show up and establish his kingdom. And that was Judah's dream along with all the zealots. And initially, when Christ started preaching, he, the zealots were quite excited because he seemed to fit the bill. He, uh, His public teachings, he, he talks about uh, uh, the kingdom of God and Israel's... Uh, role in it and he does miracles, he does healings, he casts out demons, he, fe- he does all of the messianic prophecies right there in front of them. So all the zealots were thinking, "Whoa, here's the Messiah. They had had other people they thought were the Messiah and they had ended up dead. But when Jesus came, I think their dreams were fulfilled. And also Jesus was a righteous Jew, we know that, a descendant of David and who could lead them. They had seen his power to victory over the Romans and they could and help usher in God's kingdom here on earth. Yet at some point, when Judas was following Jesus around, he was one of the inner circle. He heard the message of Jesus begin to change. He started hearing Jesus talk about dying, servanthood, Dying to self, serving others, loving others, humbling yourself. And he even heard him talk about dying by crucifixion. And he didn't like this. This was not the Messiah that he wanted. He did not want to serve. He wanted to rule. He wanted Jesus to do the will of Judas. Judas did not want to do the will of Jesus. So what happens his heart begins to harden a little bit. And I don't know if he realized it or not, but it started to harden. We can see because of his actions, he started to find fault with Jesus. He started to criticize him. He began to steal money from the, the treasury that he was in charge of. We don't know if he was stealing it so he could have a better life. Most likely to help his cause for the zealots, but and when Jesus went into triumphantly into Jerusalem, Judas saw that that was another messianic sign. But Jesus didn't overthrow. He started to talk more about his crucifixion, death, and resurrection. And Judas simply that message and that lifestyle was not acceptable to him. It did not fit his life, dreams, and hopes. Jesus had a plan apart from what Judas had. And Judas heart became hard. And so at this scene, right before Jesus went into the Passover, they were together, this woman with this great love, and Judas with his hardening heart. And when Judas saw the fervor and the love of this woman for Jesus, when Jesus had been talking about dying, Judas got mad because it was so polar opposite to his heart. He was already angry at Jesus about this, so he criticized this woman. Ah, oh, look at this waste. And Jesus, Jesus rebuked him and pointed to this woman. She gave me all she had. She prepared me to die for my burial. Well, Judas, it's heart really became hard at that moment. So he got up and he went in right after this incident. And he contacted the chief priest and made the deal to betray Jesus. He took some money from them and he said, I'll let you know where he is with his disciples and you can go arrest him. And then the next sequence was Maundy Thursday, what we celebrated last night. Jesus was with his disciples, giving them the message of love. Washing their feet, preparing them for his departure. And Jesus, because he was love, he looked at Judas and he washed his feet. And then he took the bread and he dipped it in the cup. And the first person he gave it to was Judas. And in that culture, it was, You are the guest of honor. He was still reaching out, loving Judas. Well, Judas' heart was so hard, and he had already knew the plan he wanted to do, to do Jesus in, or to force him to do some other action rather than die on a cross. Well, it said Satan entered his heart. He had gotten so hard that love was offensive to him. So he got up, and he left. And Scripture clearly tells us what happened after that. But it's amazing when the purpose of Satan, who worked in Judah's heart, was fulfilled. Judah suddenly looked around, and he saw what he had done. And for a moment, he said, oh, I've shed innocent blood. Take this money back. And he attempted to give it back. But they wouldn't take him. Take the money back. He had already made the deal, and he pointed out Jesus and kissed him. And so guilt and despair flooded Judah. Judas. And his heart was so hard that he didn't even think about that he could go and say, forgive me. And Jesus would have forgiven him. He didn't embrace the message of the cross that was already being given even before Jesus died. He was in despair and he took his own life. So we have the two right before the crucifixion. One responding with love and adoration. I don't understand it. I don't like it. But I trust you, Jesus. It's about you. You're the one. And Judas saying, I'm not following him. He's not doing anything for me. You know, what's that got to do with us today? Well, I wonder if some of you have experienced what I have. You know, over the years, being a Christian a long time, hearing this story so many years, and believing, knowing, and really believing here and here that Jesus is who he said he was, and he's God. He's resurrected. He's there. He died. He forgave me. He has all power. And then I, I want something that's very good or I have a hurt, Or I want to pray for someone else, and I pray, and nothing happens. And I'm, hmm. And without realizing it, my heart can turn a little cool. Well, he may love you, but he certainly isn't answering my prayers. I don't understand, God, why I have to go through this. If I were God, I wouldn't do that. I would answer the prayer of my children, the cries of my children, especially when they were in distress, You know, it doesn't work that way. We all know that if we've walked with the Lord a while. We know he doesn't do our will. There's a greater will that he stays with, even as he stayed with the cross. Even when the hard times came, the scripture said, he set his face like a flint. He resolved, his will was to go do the will of the Father. But I'm not quite like that, and sometimes after a few disappointments, a few hurts, a few life circumstances, a few lot of things that can happen to us in the world, you know, I can just kind of, okay, how do I know? I don't always recognize, because it doesn't happen in one incident. It's usually a little bit over a period of time when I begin to drift away from the Lord. And what's the symptoms? I don't really want to pray. I might go to church. I might know the answers in my head and even give them to you. But my heart could be cool and lukewarm and I for, lose their fervor and forget what Good Friday, Jesus' death and his resurrection was all about and the power of that. And I, have to, I think if anything will cure that, It's coming back and remembering, remembering what happened this day. God sent his only son from heaven from perfection to come down to show us who he was and the full extent of his love and to give every drop of blood he had in his body for you and for me so that we would be forgiven And brought home. You know, he hears my prayers. He hears your prayers. He hears every one of them. He hears your cries for your children, for your relatives, for the needs of your life, for your own illnesses, the illnesses of others. He hears them. And he answers them. He begins the minute he hears to come and to begin to work. To fulfill what you need and what's best for you and best for the kingdom and best for the world because he's got the big plan, we got the little plan and it usually involves my plan and if I'm not careful my heart can cool whoever saw anything good that good Friday whoever saw the power of the cross they only saw the suffering but God has a big picture, and He can see it. And as we read from Tom Wright's, as, as Rob read from Tom Wright's writings, it's about the world. It's about a. He's going to accomplish, what he said he was going to, and we're part of it if we're in His kingdom. And He's not answering prayers that would get us off track, in the way we pray them, or get somebody else off track, or do something that doesn't serve the big picture, that the whole world is going to be saved and someday he's coming back and it'll all be okay. So when you're feeling kind of hard around the heart or unbelief or doubt, remember, remember what he did. On that cross, did you hear the reading? He took our sorrows. He took our suffering. He took our sins on himself that good Friday. It certainly wasn't a good Friday for him, but it was a good Friday for us. And although Paul was in prison, he still proclaimed the resurrection. Wow, didn't look like God was too powerful there. But think of what he accomplished from prison. It might not have happened any other way. What he's about in your life and mine and in the world, he's about doing. And we don't always see it. And we have to guard our hearts to keep our fervor and our faith directed at him, not our will. And when we look at the writings of Apostle Paul, I think he says it. I love this verse. For a long time it confused me, but I love it now. He's talking, because it's in context, in Romans 8, he's talking about the love of God. What could ever separate you from the love of God? Nothing, he names all these things, anything you can possibly name. Nothing can, he's saying. And then he says this, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up on the cross. For us, how will God not also, along with his son, graciously give us all things. He hears your request. He cares about you. He's doing the best. But he's saying, remember he gave his son who gave his life. Don't doubt his love for you or that he's got the very best interest for you, the kingdom and the whole world. We're together doing this. That's why we're here together today. We need to encourage each other in that until he comes again. And so today, tonight, tomorrow, meditate on that. It's a familiar story. Don't let it pale. There's still power in that cross. If that doesn't heal a hardened heart, what else on earth could heal it? The knowing God gave his son for you. Take time and think about that. Then we can really join in this unnamed woman's fervor. We can understand. She got it. Judas didn't. She got it. She didn't understand it, but she got it. And she poured out all she had to Jesus. And that's all we can do. We can just pour out our hearts and our lives to him and continue to continue to trust him. He is trustworthy. He does all things well. Let's pray. Jesus, we live in a world that does not acknowledge you. We're influenced by things and people and sin and brokenness and our own desires and our sin and sins of others and, and longing, lots of things. But when we stop and remember who created us, who breathed the breath of life into us, who gave his life for us, and who has a plan for eternity for us, we stop and we kneel at that foot of the cross and we say thank you. We say thank you. And we pour our hearts out to you. Thank you, Jesus. You did for us what we could not do for ourselves. You brought us home. Thank you. Amen.